Hello and welcome to Teenage Cake, a light-hearted, discussion-based podcast made with teachers for teachers. So grab a cuppa, sit back and relax as we delve into a new slice of education chit-chat with every show. In this episode, we talk to James McNaughton about his journey to deputy headship and what it's like working at a brand new school. I hope you like it. Hi James, how are you? How are we doing, Megan? You okay? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I like to start each episode by asking my guests three questions that gives us an insight into who they are as a teacher and the journey that they've had. So to start us off, why did you decide to become a teacher and what was your key motivation? So I think I wasn't one of these people who kind of had like a, a dream to become a teacher across my kind of school and university career. Um, I guess I should give a bit of credit to my uh, one of my friends from university who applied to the Teach First scheme when we were in third year and gave me the idea and kind of opened my eyes to it and inspired me. So I took a gap year after university and before I went, I kind of started applying for different you know, grad schemes and trying to get different jobs. And I was really kind of attracted to the challenge of doing two years at a difficult a challenging school. The idea that I didn't know if I'd do it forever. I just thought, I thought it'd be something really exciting to do for a couple of years and get some skills, get some experience, grow myself a bit whilst also making a difference. And then just did, just did the two years at a brilliant school in um, East London and just loved it. And I'm still here 10 years later and kind of really caught the bug. And what has been your proudest moment so far and why? I, t- I couldn't pick out like a specific moment. I mean, I really love results day. I love that day when you go into school and you, you kind of, you celebrate with all the kids that you, that you, that have done well and that you've taught and you, you, you know, you obviously support the kids who've not quite got the grades they wanted. And it's just a really good day. And especially when you've been at school for a few years, you get to really see, imagine those kids that you saw running around the school like year sevens eights and nines and then see what brilliant year 11s and year 13s they've turned into and kind of have that moment of realization and then there's always a good moment of team bonding after that where you kind of go to the pub and stuff so i would say you know every result today is a real kind of highlight and proud moment for me each year brilliant and what has been the most valuable lesson that you've learned as a teacher when i worked in my second school uh it was kind of a lesson that you know, there's kind of two parts of this lesson. I remember that the head of English, you know, in, in a big middle leaders meeting, putting up his hand and saying, one of the things we've got to remember is whenever we ask uh, our teams to do something, whenever we ask something new, we've got to ask the question, what goes away? And I think that that was a really, really exceptionally important lesson that I learned from him. And, you know, I really value him for doing that because, you know, whenever you ask someone, whenever you ask a member of your team or your staff to do something, you've got to think, what's going to go away? What are, we, what are we not asking them to do in order for this to happen? At the same school, I think I, I learned the lesson that if you don't value and treat staff properly on the whole, um, then they will leave and they will not be happy and your school will not be sustainable. And I think that that's one, you know, you've got to treat people properly. You've got to be fair to people. You've got to be reasonable. You've got to, you've got to value your staff genuinely as human beings. Otherwise, you're screwed as a school. So one of the main reasons I was keen to have you as a guest on my podcast was because I'm really interested to hear about your journey to senior leadership. So you're currently deputy head teacher at the Swan School, a brand new free school in Oxford. And I would assume amongst the youngest deputy heads in the country. Do you want to talk us through your journey from trainee to deputy and how you knew you were ready for each next step along the way? I can talk you through the journey. I mean, how I knew I was ready is it's, it's, it's a, that's a, that's a tough question. But yeah, uh, so I, I I did the Teach First program at an amazing school in East London called Forest Gate. Um, you'll have seen it 
you know, at the top of the P8 league tables in the last three or four years as a kind of real bastion of excellent practice. And it was just the most fantastic place to train. Um, brilliant, lively, challenging, but also you know, amazing aspirant community and kids. Um, loved it. Brilliant community of teachers. The head teacher there is still is still there. He's now head of a trust. And it was so good on kind of trust and support and challenge and kind of threshold ideas and it's no surprise to me that they've gone on since and you know done so amazingly well so did my two years there during my second year there was an opportunity to step up as a maternity cover with a bit of a TLR basically really early on in my career got that opportunity to get a bit of management experience and to to work with the head of department really closely who's who's still a close friend you know real inspiration to me got that challenge of organizing a curriculum organizing assessment starting to think about intervention which obviously I now have different feelings about that was very much the height of the kind of intervention mania so you know organizing interventions uh you know being in charge of a budget and I got that experience and, and kind of loved it and then at the end of the two years I kind of was quite keen to to move a bit closer into London and you know in hindsight actually possibly I'd be better off staying where I was because I loved that school and there were great opportunities there and I'm sure I'd have flown but I did, uh, I moved, I took a job as a 2IC at another school in London. Uh, I found it really hard. The kids were impossibly tough and leadership were incredibly overbearing and quite kind of intimidating and a lot of a very, very high staff turnover and a school that I felt quite anxious and quite nervous every day. So I feel like I've had that experience of working with really like where you feel squeezed, you're kind of squeezed from above by the leadership and you're squeezed below because the kids are so tough. It was a really, really tough place to do. Do I regret it? In one sense, yes, because it was really hard. In another sense, it taught me an awful lot. Probably the hardest two years I'll ever have, hope I'll ever have in my career. I learned loads, but it was bloody difficult and really, really, really frustrating at times. And so at that point, I was kind of a bit in the crossroads of my career. You know, I, I didn't, that was my, probably my biggest doubt. You know, did I want to continue in teaching? Did I, did I actually love it? Was it just the school or was it something else? So I, you know, at the end of the two years, I did start looking up for jobs and I took a head of maths job at a fantastic school in Hackney called Cardinal Pole, which is kind of where the majority of my career has been. So I was a head of maths and assistant head there. You know, really probably stayed somewhere for more than two years for the first time and, you know, felt a bit more part of the community and built up a kind of bit more of a reputation. And, and you know, I really enjoyed being head of maths because it was you know, kind of leading a team and planning a curriculum. It was, a, it was an exciting time to be head of maths as well because it was the the cusp of the new maths curriculum and I joined a team full of the most talented teachers you could meet but there wasn't a curriculum in place at all it was just do what you want to do so I had that chance to build something from scratch and really kind of think about what I thought a great maths curriculum would look like and and, and standardize and work with that team to build something really really amazing I think still in place there so did that for a couple of years and then got the opportunity internally to kind of lead on the data and assessment and exams uh, and do some stuff with the middle leaders around, you know, achievement and, and data, which was, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard again. You know, it was hard in a different way because it was something I really believed in. I felt really, really satisfied that I was in the right place and in the right team. I didn't feel undervalued or underappreciated. Moving to SLT is really, really tough. Um, really, really tough. The first year was definitely the hardest I've ever worked. And it was the most kind of stretched I've ever felt. I wrote a blog about it, actually. I've written a few blogs in my time. And this is the only one that caught any kind of traction. I think it's had like, you know, seven or 8,000 views as opposed to my normal kind of 150. <laughs> um, and I think it kind of resonated with people in terms of 
the challenges of stepping up internally are really, really precise because partially, like, you are still one of the gang. You know, like, you're still, you've sat next to and eating lunch with all these middle leaders for a while and then they see you instantly differently and it's it, that, that's a difficult relationship to manage. You know, are you still their friend or are you now, is it them and us? And, you know, when you go to the pub and have a drink and, you know, you're complaining about something, instead of it being just James's opinion it's then that's SLT's view and you know and that and that and that was a challenge and also just realizing how hard it was to kind of do all the hard grunt work behind the scenes and then also be constantly present around the school so doing that whilst kind of trying to run a kind of data system and you know get reports out and organize exams and you know run middle leader stuff and also do my own teaching that was incredibly hard uh, and a really really tough ask I kind of got the idea throughout my time as as, as, as an head that I'd really like to go and work at startup school. That was my next thing. I kind of told the head, like, you know, I've no urgent rush to be a deputy head. I'm not not looking for promotion. I won't apply to an established school. But if if the right opportunity comes up at startup school, and that was in my head, that was either deputy or assistant head, I would go for it. And um, I went for two interviews. I went for one at a North London school uh, where I came second in the interview process. But actually, it was absolutely the right decision for them and me because philosophically it wasn't the right place for me I didn't really agree with what they were trying to do I wouldn't have matched with the head um, and so it was a great experience but, but the right choice for them and then this one came along in Oxford now I wasn't desperate to, to move out of London I wasn't desperate to leave Harden Pole but you know I met with Kay and I kind of looked into the school and the ethos and vision was just kind of like slap bang you know we are we could not be closer in terms of our kind of ideology and vision and it just felt like something I couldn't turn down so yeah I applied for the job and and thankfully thankfully got it and yeah it's been it's been an amazing first year doing it so that that's my journey um, i've got a few questions that have sort of come off the back of it firstly you obviously mentioned your experience of working with a difficult leadership team how do you think that experience has shaped you as a leader yeah i just i just think it's taught me the value of like firstly giving people a bit of autonomy and trust secondly there's just not need for the smoke and mirrors and daggers like you can be transparent you can be straight with people you can be absolutely like crystal clear with your moral purpose that you're there to raise standards and give kids the absolute the absolute best deal possible and that you're unwavering in that but you're also part of that is being there for the team and understanding that the best way to be to be absolutely all about the kids is to be all about your staff as well because I can't teach every single child in my school all, all the lessons on, you, you know as, as a head or a deputy head or assistant head you need a huge team of highly motivated skilled people who will develop who, are, who will invest in themselves and also will stay you know if you have 30 40 50 percent staff turnover every year then you're starting from scratch every year you can't build anything that's really shaped me and you know I, I'm not saying I always get this right and I'm sure people who work with me would say oh you know he could do this better and he could do that better I'm not saying I'm the finished product but I definitely really really try to to value people and, and, and remember that you know they're, they're here they've got their own drivers which may be you know their family and it may be earning money for their family it may be that they are motivated by you know social change or maybe they love working with children maybe they want to to develop their career they're very ambitious Whatever it is, is, is to work with that and to work with them rather than kind of just use and abuse them and then realise that they all leave after two years and burn them out, roll them over fast. And I just don't think that works. And it, it, on a human level, I felt very, very unsatisfied at that school and I'd never want anyone to feel like that at school I, I was involved in. And I think that's a really good point. And everyone does have a different mm. moral purpose and being able to nurture that within a school environment and recognise everyone's is different, but we're really all there for some sort of common goal. I think is really key. So yeah, recognizing that individuals have their own 
you know, reasons for being where they are and their own motivations away from school as well is, is really important. I think, I think it's also respecting that not everyone is in a position where they're, they're able to give their soul to the job and be working until nine o'clock at night and working at the weekends and burning the candle at both ends. Some people have young families or some people have complex home situations. Some people just, just value their work-life balance. And I do as well. And I think it's about not creating a culture of kind of hero teachers who sacrifice themselves for the cause. It's about creating a team of teachers who are highly autonomous. All the evidence, and I listened to a brilliant blog with um, uh, Becky Allen talking about the fact that teachers, when they actually feel con- in control of their projects, they're incredibly willing to work hard. It's not necessarily the amount of work, it's how much, how important you feel it is. So, you know, if you give teachers that autonomy, you give them that control, you, you, you make them feel job satisfied, they'll stay, they'll flourish, and they should be able to do that within reasonable hours. We shouldn't be expecting teachers to work 70 or 80 hours a week because they will burn out and they will leave. And in the long run, they'll be less, even if they stay, they'll be less good teachers because they're just knackered. In an interview I did with Emma Turner, she spoke about how we are the best asset in a classroom. It's the teacher. It's not the resources that you've got. You are the best resource. And if you're burnt out, if you're no good to anyone, the learning that comes from you isn't going to be effective. It isn't going to be worthwhile. Mm. So you've got to look after yourself to be the best asset in that classroom. So yeah, well-being is really important. And you also mentioned about how you sort of did two years at one school, two years at another school. What do you reckon is the benefit of early career teachers moving between schools every few years rather than staying in one place? Yeah, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? And when I moved, who was it? I was listening to someone talk about this. It was David Didow talking about this on our, on our, on our podcast the other day. And I had this absolute feeling that when I left Forest Gate, I kind of had this view of myself as I was a pretty good teacher. Like I knew what I was doing. I didn't have loads of behavior problems. The kids generally worked pretty hard in my lessons and they liked, generally liked me. And I went to this second school and just got destroyed. They, they hated new people. They didn't trust. They had 50% staff turnover. They probably thought I was going to be gone by Christmas and, you know, got absolutely rinsed for a term. And it really, you know, it did affect my mental health. I felt very stressed. I felt very, very exhausted and very down on myself. So when I moved the second time to Cardinal Pole, and you knew Cardinal Pole was a tough school, you know, it's a it's a real, you know, true, true challenging school in Hackney. I kind of just prepared myself and I was like, I know they're not all gonna immediately listen to me just because I think I, you know, because I think I can teach. I, I'm prepared for this. I'm just gonna be calmer about it. And you know, I think you you've got to learn that for experience. And I think that was a really powerful lesson was that, you know, you met like being a great teacher is context specific and those relationships and that reputation you have it would be stupid to say that doesn't follow you around because if you have that brilliant relationships and you have that great reputation, then kids will just behave you automatically. That will happen. And then when you go to a new challenging school, they won't do that automatically. You've got to build that. So learning that lesson was, was hard, but it was really good. I guess it just gave me a really good foundation in three very different schools. What are the things they do well? What are the things they do badly? Working with lots of different leaders, some of which were like phenomenal and some of the best role models I've ever had. And also some people who, you know, I, I, I learned what not to do. Even things like, you know, I worked in some that had a vertical structure, some that had a horizontal structure, some that set by ability, some that had mixed ability. You know, just actually working in lots of different contexts just gives you a lot of and we've got lots of different models. Two of them had six forms, one didn't. And you can see what are the different things they're doing. It gave me lots of reference points that, that allow me to kind of think about education with more. But then the advantage of staying in one school is you build those reputations, you build those links, you, you show a bit of loyalty, you become part, and becoming part of the community of the school is so important. Like feeling like it's your place and you know the parents and they know you and, and you belong. I think that's one of the most satisfying things you can have as a teacher. So I think there are pros and cons. Um, to leave Cardinal Pole was an absolute wrench, uh, but it was just the perfect opportunity to kind of set up a school and you know, 
sure we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, the chance to have a blank canvas and just paint. Kay, our head talks about like the, the train set, you know, what, what do you planning out from, from nothing? It's just so exciting. And I think what's really important as well about your journey is that other teachers, they might have just left teaching at that stage when they were in a really, a school that wasn't married to them. They, they would have either given up or they would have stayed and continued to be unhappy. So you actually had the confidence to move on, had the confidence to feel like, no, it's, it's just this school. I'm going to try somewhere else and I'm going to hope that that works better. Yeah, and I, I, in the last couple of weeks, I've heard like you know, I've heard Craig Barton say this. I've heard, um, I've, I've seen Adam Boxer say this. Like, if you don't like your school, don't leave teaching. Look on TES. Get yourself a different school. Give it another try because you know you 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 have one career and you have one life, and you've got to be happy and you've got to look after yourself first before you can look after anyone else. And if your school's not right for you, it's better for the school if you move on. It's better for you if you move on, and it's better for the teaching profession if we keep people in it. So, you know, don't think that this is all schools. Schools are, I mean, I've now worked at four and they are so different, the four schools I've worked at, all four of them. I could spend an hour just talking to you about the, the differences in terms of everything that the four schools I've worked at. So, yeah, I would 100% echo that. You know, get on TES. If you don't like your school, get on TES. So it's my dream as well to work in a brand new school and to help build it from the ground up. What made you want to be part of the Swan School's journey? And had you had any prior experience of setting up a school or starting something from scratch? I mean, I hadn't had an experience of setting up a school, that's for sure. I did talk earlier a little bit about, you know, when I started as head of maths, it was a bit start from scratch in terms of the curriculum, which was a really exciting opportunity. And one of the things I was really lucky to be able to do, because actually changing something that's established is infinitely harder than saying, okay, you guys are all just doing what you want to do. Let's all do this together. And I'm not saying there was no pushback against that because it definitely was tough to do, but it was much easier than kind of saying, actually, can we just abandon all these things we've been doing and do something else? And that was a really interesting lesson about how to bring people with you and how to do it softly, softly, and how to work with people. What attracted me to it, firstly, it's that blank canvas idea. It's the toy train set idea. It's the idea that everything you've been frustrated by, everything that you've seen done wrong, every time you've tried to get a change initiative through and it's either hit a rocks of someone senior blocking it or someone junior not being prepared to do it or you're going, oh, well, we don't have the time to do this. Well, actually, none of that exists. You started from scratch, so the piece of paper is blank. You write on it what you want. And then, as I said, you know, in my first meeting with Kay, I kind of came away so infused that we, we just shared the same views on education. You know, we viewed... We had the same view of behaviour that, you know, we have to have the absolute highest standards for students. And that doesn't mean zero tolerance in a cold, clinical way. It means warm, strict. It means that we, we don't fall into the soft bigotry and low expectations and, and lower our standards even for a second. The standards are there and we'll support the students to meet it. And we'll do that with warmth and loads of care. We agreed that, you know, the curriculum should be incredibly well structured. The thinking behind the what is actually probably more important than the how of learning. We need to think about what they're learning, how it's sequenced, how do we pull that together. Having those conversations there on the first, before I'd even applied, was so exciting. You know, we shared the same views on, you know, teaching and learning that, you know, the most important things are really effective modelling and instruction and then loads and loads of really high purposeful practice interleaved over time and, you know, spaced out so that, so that it's retrieved, so it's retained, so long-term memory is effective. You know, having those conversations before you even apply to a job, it just made me feel, and having just come off the back of not have, having not come, and come second in the other one and, and also knowing that wasn't the right school for me, and having been for the first interview and almost feeling like I had to not answer the questions truthfully. Does that mm. make sense? You know, yeah. going to an interview and thinking, how do they want me to answer that rather than yeah. what do I actually think? And, you know, coming to the Swan, I've never had to do that. I've never had to think, oh, 
what does Kay think and what, how do I parrot back to her something that she'll want to hear? I just think about what I think. And because we had such strong alignment and vision straight from the start, that, that's worked. Uh, and that was, that was what attracted to me, you know, to made, me, made me send the application. It was that conversation and that kind of feeling that you know, I might never get this again. I might never get the chance to work with a head on a brand new school where like, I'm just 100% mission aligned. I'm in, you know, it's, it's, I'm with her. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so you opened in September to your first cohort of year seven students. How has the first year been and what have been your highlights and the challenges that you've had to overcome? Yeah, I think, I think the first year has been brilliant. I mean, you know, obviously COVID aside, and actually I'm just not going to talk about COVID because I feel like <laughs> I actually just want to focus on how brilliant the school is. It's been amazing. The kids have blown me away. They are so, so ambitious and so well behaved and they work so hard and they're so nice uh, to each other and to us. And it's just been a joy to work with them. They've been brilliant. I mean, it's a very different community, the North Oxford community or North East Oxford community compared to Hackney and compared to Islington and compared to Newham. But it's one that I've really, really enjoyed working with. I've got such a fantastic team of teachers. They, they, they inspire me every day and they're, they're absolutely wonderful to work with. And they're such starter finishers. They, they come to me with issues and solutions straight away. And they're just a joy to lie around and work with. So it has been brilliant. We feel that we've, we've developed a good reputation. You know, the kids behave very well, which gives us real purpose in lessons. And, you know, we don't have disruption in lessons, which really helps. Our curriculum is really ambitious and it's really exciting. And we'll continue to build on that. Reflect that will never be finished. It's ne- not a piece of art that you hang on the wall. It, it's a working thing forever. It's a live document. Uh, but I think we've made a great start. What are the challenges? Um, you know, there's certain things about our ethos that not everyone would agree with. You know, we, we are... We are not unique nationally, but we're certainly different to, 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 to all schools. And because of the admissions process in your very first year of a new school, you don't necessarily know that everyone who's been assigned to you kind of actively chose you. So there's been a bit of work, you know, working with parents who didn't actively choose us, working with communities and families who didn't actively choose us to try to convince them that we do have their children's best interests in heart and we're not kind of cold, callous monsters. You know, we do just want kids to do really, really well and that means behaving really. I don't think we'll have that challenge next year because, you know, we had way more first choice applicants than we did places. So our new cohort have chosen us as their first choice, which is, which is quite, a, quite a difference, actually. We also need to think really, really hard and honestly about, you know, making sure that whilst our curriculum is really challenging and our behaviour is brilliant and that helps all children, do our vulnerable learners always understand everything and how do we continue to support them and, you know, making sure that no one gets left behind ever. You know, my feeling is we do this better than many other schools, but doesn't mean that we can't aim for even higher and kind of really, really push that forward. So I've got lots of ideas and working really closely with our middle leaders about how we make adjustments to our curriculum and adjustments to our lessons and adjustments to our out of lesson materials to give those kids, you know, our vulnerable learners, you know, whether that's with SEN needs or with lower prior attainment or with confidence issues, how do we make sure they get the best experience possible so that they fly as, you know, as much as they can. So you've come from, I assume, pretty big schools in London to a very small team of students and colleagues. How have you found that element of the transition? I mean, it's quite calm, you know, having a hundred, having four classrooms full of 30 kids and you know, four people teaching at a time and only kind of nine teachers, including SLT, you know, it's all very, it's, it's much more sedate than a, than a kind of very busy, bustling, loud school in Hackney with, you know, over a thousand kids. So I've actually found it quite relaxing. You know, it's, 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 it's almost like we've zoomed in on a small part of the puzzle and simplified it and tried to get that in the best position as we can. And I guess each year we grow that outwards and it becomes almost like a bit more of a manageable task. But I, I haven't found that too difficult. I've actually found that quite rewarding. And it must be nice just to know everyone's names yeah. straight, straight, straight from the start. You just know who everyone is. 
yeah, well, we stole that Michaela idea of um of taking photos and having like, a quiz that, that teachers can do over the summer to make sure that they before they even turn up we know all their names and all staff do that, which I think was really really effective last September because it just meant that every student felt really known and valued from the day they walked in and also how much more powerful is it to pick up on behavior or misbehavior if you're if you're addressing them by name immediately Mm. so from the website there seems to be a really clear vision for the school and i really like the values that are promoted so ambition dedication integrity and kindness how are these nurtured on a daily basis within the school i remember my very first day having been appointed coming up on the train and um, sitting with Kay in a little room at uh, a small primary school (laughs) in the trust uh, in a tiny little like kind of intervention room with a piece of sugar paper and going right what are our school values and, you know we really liked the idea of having three but then we couldn't quite shoehorn three, four into three so we just decided this was the four and I think they really encapsulate like what you know it's for us it's about creating brilliant scholars you know students who can go on and study at university but also have loads of cultural capital they're good citizens they care about the world they've got the right they've got the right kind of moral purpose as well so for us they're really really important we didn't want them to be just something that was on the website and on the wall of course they are on the wall and of course they are on the website but that's that's not it so we shamelessly stole this from dixon's trinity around these kind of cycles of the year so our our whole year is is, is kind of very planned out structured so we have a value each week emphasized in all interactions it's emphasized in assembly it's emphasized in uh, personal development time and the tutors Um, it's emphasized by staff Um, we talk about it in the bulletin we you know we have specific activities around that and we just ask everyone to make that the big value for the week all our students sort into houses and they get house points and the things they get house points for are the four values uh, like our school development plan and all our department development plans they're kind of around those four, four values you know what are our development points for ambition for dedication for kindness for integrity and we just make a really really fuss about them whenever we're praising or kind of sanctioning students you know you've got detention for talking in the corridor you know you've not shown good integrity there you know, so next time you need to make sure you show integrity that you know, that's the conversation uh, not just you're naughty don't do that yeah that's really good to hear that they're so well embedded because i think some schools can put it out there as their motto or their values but actually they're not really advocated within the school so it's really good to hear that it's such a strong part Another aspect of the Swan School that I like the sound of is your focus on electives. So from the Mm -hmm. website, I learned that the electives are timetabled into the school day to enable students to take part in a range of different enrichment activities. And those are looking to aid students' personal development, their social development, but also their cultural capital. You've clearly worked to ensure that enrichment opportunities are open to everyone and it's fair access for all. What electives have students been able to participate in this year and how does the sort of system work? Where and how do they fit into the school day? Yeah, so we have an extended day. So on Monday, we have a single elective period um, and we call these academic electives. So on our academic elective menu, we had things like coding, Mandarin, uh, Latin, public speaking and debate, creative writing. So that's about allowing students the opportunity to study something that's loosely academic that they maybe wouldn't get the chance to explore. So they choose one of these each term or we call them cycles. They choose a first choice and a second choice. They always get one of their first or second choice. And if they, if they don't get their first choice, they get that the next, the, the next cycle. Um, so they do three across the year. And the hope is that lots of them would be on the year. Well, not the hope. They will. Lots of them will be on the year eight menu and they'll get to build on them. So if they've done computing coding in year seven, they can do that in year eight and build on it. If they've done Mandarin in year seven, they can do it in year eight and build on it. Yeah, so that, that's the Monday electives. On Wednesday, we have kind of slightly more, less academic electives, so more kind of involved and physical. Um, so things we have on Wednesday, that's a double elective slot. So it's a double period at the end of the day. So we have a volunteering programme. We have an environmental awareness elective, drama, fine arts, uh, sport option, 
uh, an orchestra and music. You know, there's a creative section, there's a community awareness section, and there's a sporting section. So they, and they can choose different ones across the term. Are all the electives based on, so your teachers that you've got, are, are, were they offering what electives they could offer? So the Mandarin, the, is, is it just what, were they able to it's decide a, what they offered? It's a mixture. So we have volunteers from some of the private schools near us, so Summerfields and Maudling College offer us some help. Uh, we have other volunteers who come in and uh, offer offer us support and help. Uh, we potentially may pay some coaches in the future to offer some sporting staff. So a real mixture. And you know, the idea is from this year was to widen it. So we're having a gardening club. So our new science technician is is a mad keen gardener, so he's going to offer that. You know, and to try and, and widen it, and we're also thinking about, you know, especially for the Ade- uh, the Monday one, like can we offer some really, really powerful intervention during that time um, for kids who can't access, you know, Mandarin or, or or Latin because they can't read, and make that a kind of unlocking experience in the first cycle or the second cycle as well. So we're, we're we're kind of constantly refining it. We don't think it's the finished art article. I mean, the kids love it. So the very friend who inspired me to go to teaching came and visited us. And one of the things he said, as he said, he thought it was really powerful seeing like kind of how structured period one to four was. He came in on a Wednesday and then just kind of seeing it all loosen period five and six and move into electives and become so much less formal. And it's that chance for us all to, to get to know each other better and build cultural capital and much less, you know, we're not so worried about cognitive science in our, in our electives. It's a bit more about building that experience and richness and, and you know, enjoying each other's company as well. Yeah, I really love that. It really sounds amazing. Such a great opportunity for students to try out so many different things just within one year. Yeah, and um, the other thing is, you know, in, in reality, you know, who is it that, that, that's doing all the clubs and activities after school? Well, it's your, it's your, it's your advantaged students. It's your, it's your middle-class families who, who prioritise it and can afford it and also have the time, you know, they, they may they either have childcare to take them there or they can take, they can be flexible with their working hours. You know, it's the disadvantaged students who are going and picking up younger brothers and sisters or are cooking for the family or are having to, you know, go and sit at aunties or grandmas for the evening because that's the only place they can go who are not involved in cooking club and in gymnastics and in swimming and in lacrosse and, and karate who, you know, or music lessons. And they're the ones missing out. So it's about making this an entitlement to all and kind of moving the extracurricular into the curriculum. Yeah, and that, that's what's amazing, that it is just such fair access and yeah. that all of them are having that opportunity. Obviously, you've got a longer school day. What sort of expectations are there on homework for students? So as part of the longer day this year, we had three supervised study periods at school at the end of the day. So part, so on the two days, they have, um, they have electives and the other three days, they have supervised study, which is homework time. Now, one of the things we've been trying to refine across the years, how do we make that as effective as possible? I don't think we start, you know, being honest, I don't think we started off with that kind of at 100 out of 100. I think we started off with that maybe at 70, maybe even 65. And we've kind of really trying to work on how we get that higher. We've tried to keep homework quite simple. So there are three types of homework we do at this one. So there's independent reading, and we expect them to read for half an hour every day. There's maths practice, which is essentially using a program called Manga High, which our head of maths has chosen. Uh, and they're, they're, that's either set homework or, or independent practice. And then we ask students to complete self-quizzing on their knowledge organisers. Now, we've worked to make that a little bit less informal. So we started off with like, you know, here are your knowledge organisers, go away and self-quiz. And I think we quite quickly realised that year sevens can't do that and that we needed to give them much more training and much more structure at least for the first year and then maybe we can remove that structure when they become year nine year 10 year 11 we've been working really hard uh, during lockdown and just before to create kind of quiz booklets for them so we write the quizzes for them they've got specific deadlines we know exactly when they need to be done by and i think next year that'll be a real kind of marginal gain that students will feel they can get much more out of that super study and home learning to answer your question kind of in a roundabout way 
we expect them to do most of their homework in school. Um, and at home, it's about doing things to supplement that and making sure they get the reading done. One other thing that I really like about the school is your family lunch that's embedded mm. into the school day. How does that work and how have you found it? It's lovely. It's such a calm kind of life affirming experience to kind of sit down and share lunch and have a conversation with students when you, you, you give that the time and you give that the space to happen um, we have a brilliant kitchen who cooks you know cooks as amazing you know vegetarian meals every single lunchtime so it's healthy and sustainable and you know our you know Kay isn't a vegetarian I try to be but often fail so it's not about us imposing our ideology it's about kind of making sure we can all eat the same meal making sure it's healthy and sustainable making sure it's high quality because for £2.70, you can actually buy much better quality ingredients if you buy vegetarian rather than buying low quality meat. And I think it's about, you know, I've been used to lunch. I've done lunch duty for years. I'm so used to lunch being a kind of grab and run experience. People pushing into queues to grab chips, to throw some down their neck, half on the floor, <laughs> leave litter and then run off. It's just very nice to all sit down and we have a topic of conversation that is very loosely enforced it's not you know we expect them to be able to contribute on it but we don't make them only talk about that they serve each other they have roles to um to clear away or to go and get dessert i've seen family lunch at a few different places i've seen it at the kayla and city academy where Kay used to work and i think it can be really transformational but it's got to you know you've got to get the routines tight we've got we were very very clear at the start about practice 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 getting it getting it within the time getting everyone knowing what they're doing and then you've got to have good culture of type of kind of of working together and being a kind of happy community because if you're not a happy community it could become a real source of contention and a place for conflict but luckily we don't have that. That's really good and it's really interesting with the sustainable focus. I'm a food teacher so it's obviously a topic that I've got mm. to deliver but it's really interesting to hear that a school's gone vegetarian for their lunch menu. We do serve meat at break time for snacks so they can buy chicken wraps and tuna wraps but we do think, yeah, it has lots of benefits. You know, firstly, everyone can eat the same meal, whether or not you're vegetarian, or halal, or kosher. And also, yeah, it has those environmental benefits of, of lowering our carbon footprint. And it also has the, the benefit of actually being a bit healthier because, because we can afford a better, you know, £2.70 is your standard lunch price across the country. That doesn't change. For £2.70, you can actually buy some really nice, quite nice quality vegetables and carb products. Whereas if you, if you start putting chicken wings into there, you really start to suffer in terms of quality. And I've seen that in canteens across my career until now. And also it's really broadening the students' taste. So they're probably being exposed to yeah. so many more dishes yeah. than what they'd normally try if it was standard dishes on the menu. So I think that's really interesting as well. So what's next for the Swan School? Well, getting back to normality, you know, trying to make the government guidance work for us in a way that keeps all the things that we think are really, really important but also keeps kids safe and is manageable in terms of workload for staff. We've got six new teachers and five or six new either educational or office support staff joining us. So we're nearly doubling in size. We're doubling our students. And it's about kind of sustainability, getting back, making sure that, that the values and the, the systems and the, the structure that we put into place this year kind of lives large and remains next year and that we, we still have all the things that make us brilliant and then we develop even further the things that I think we could work further on. And lastly, because can't end an episode without asking it, if you were a cake, what would you be and why? <laughs> yeah, I was dreading this question. I don't really like cake, you know. Oh my I know, God. I know, I know, I know I've I chosen the wrong was, guest. <laughs> I know as a big lad, that, that's quite surprising. I'm actually much more into my kind of crisps and takeaways and stuff. But, uh, I asked my friend what kind of cake I would be, and he said I would be a uh, carrot cake. And I asked why, and he said, because uh, it's got a rich, creamy topping, it's fibrous, uh, it looks healthy but isn't, 
and yeah, he said it was moist because I'm always well hydrated and sometimes sweaty. That's what he said. So That's I'll go with that. a very analytical answer from your friend. Yeah. He really yeah, yeah. Well, about it. I'd even got to the point of earlier today Googling types of cake to look at different types because I just don't really eat cake. What do you have for your birthday? I didn't have a cake this year or last year. That is shocking. No, sorry. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. It was lovely to chat. Thank you, James. Not sure how I feel about the cake thing, but it was really great to hear your story. I hope year two at the Swan is as rewarding as the first. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter and your chosen podcast platform. Leave us a review and share us far and wide. I'll be back soon for another slice of tea and educate.